Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 37 with me tonight. Genesis chapter 37. While you're doing that, if you wouldn't mind, get your hymnal back out and open to the song we just sang a moment ago, 705. I want to just revel with you a little bit if you don't mind. Uh, I don't know what normally happens on a Wednesday night, so buckle up. I'm going to do what uh, the Lord touches my heart to do, and I just hope you'll come along for the ride. I don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, it always encourages my heart to, uh, Terry and I both, it encourages our hearts to come. Uh, My wife is right over here on my left tonight. Uh, We are going to celebrate on November the 24th our 40th wedding anniversary. So we are, we will, yeah, You you should clap for her. I can't believe she's made it this long. I mean, goodness me, she's had to put up with me for 40 years and and beyond, actually. We've known each other for 44 years, Uh, but I thank the Lord for her, and God has been so good to us. We're so grateful that our kids are here. Uh, We're grateful that Pastor Lardy and Amanda are here, and of course, Layla and Amari, you know, we can't leave them out. But I, I have to tell you, it warms my soul to know that God knows where our children are, and God knows what our children are gifted to do. I don't know that you know this, but a deaf teenage girl has started to come to your church. And uh, for parents who work with the deaf, that's our heartbeat, what a blessing it is for us to know that God drew a needy teenage girl who cannot hear to a church where there's an assistant pastor's wife who knows sign language and also loves the deaf. And we're getting to see our ministry This is thrilling to us, but we get to see our ministry going into the next generation, uh, even with our own children, and it is really a thrill for us to see that, and I thank God that uh, they're in the right place, and uh, I hope you thank God for them being in the right place. I think you do. Uh, We're glad that they're here. We'd rather them be in Pennsylvania right next to us, living right next to our home, Uh, but that's not what the Lord has in mind, and we're glad they're here. Uh, I did want to say to you... um, that I, I love it when uh, nobody who prepared the music tonight had any idea what I would be preaching. And I had no idea what would be the music ahead of my message. But I love it when God puts those two things together without any of our uh, intentionality in that. That the Holy Spirit of God just moves and works things together. We sang that great old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And if you have your hymn open to 705, we... We sang, I have to tell you, that one of my absolute favorite verses in any hymn is verse 3 of this, this, uh, this song. So I want to read it with you. Sometimes, you know, we who've been saved for a long time, and I've been saved for over 50 years. I was preaching in prison last night, and I made the statement that I've been saved for 56 years of my life, which makes me really feel old, but I am, so I guess that's right. But I've been saved for a very long time, and one of the things that really concerns me in my own salvation, and I'll just be candid with you, is that I will become callous to the sweetest things about the gospel. That I will become used to the fact that God came for me when I was a wretched sinner, sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, and that He sent His Son to rescue me from that that pit of hell. I don't ever want to get over that. So I want you to do this with me. Let's look at that third verse together. And do you think we could sing it without any instruments? Can we do that? Are you all good enough to do that and not be literally pitiful? (laughs) Could Could we try that? 
Let's try it together. Now listen, when we sing it, let's do it with some feeling and let's think about it, alright? Here we go. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. Think about this line. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Pause for a minute. Aren't you glad it's the whole? Aren't you glad God didn't miss a couple here and there and when we get to heaven we're not going to be able to get in? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. Here we go. Is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. We'll stop right there. I just love that verse, don't you? God didn't miss a sin of mine, neither did He miss a sin of yours. He nailed them to the cross. And when Christ cried out there on the cross, it is finished, what He meant was, everything that needed to be done to pay for every last one of my sins was finished there on the cross. And by the way, He did it for you too. And I love the fact that I can't meet one person on this earth that Jesus didn't do that for them too. Amen? I know we live in a time, we've got a whole bunch of debates going on about whether we should witness to people. You know, whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved and some of that kind of stuff. I don't get involved in all that because I'm not God. I know God's omniscient and I know He knows everybody that's going to be saved. He knows all that, but I don't know it. Amen? So I get to look at everybody I meet as an opportunity to see the gospel and to hear the gospel and to trust the gospel. And I'm grateful for that. And then, and then the uh, organist played so beautifully, his eyes on the sparrow. And you know, we just, our brother talked to us about the family. Was it the fairy family you were saying? Fairy family who lost a, a father and a husband today. And, and you know what? I, I've got to tell you, what I want to talk to you about tonight is accepting God's plan for your life. And I want to use Joseph as an example. I don't know if you're like us, but when Terry and I, we travel a lot for our ministry. We travel mostly the New England states. And by the way, if you want to find a miserable place to drive, just drive to the Northeast. I don't care where you go up there. Um, Well, you, you live in New Jersey, and I think you've got some pretty aggressive drivers here in New Jersey. I might be wrong about that. But it just seems like uh, everybody's in a hurry here, and they like to get right up so you can't see their headlights uh, over in your rearview mirror here. I'm not sure if that's true, but it just seems that way. But then I go to Rhode Island, and they tell me the worst drivers in America are in Rhode Island. Then we go to Con- uh, Connecticut. They say the worst driver, you get it where I'm headed. Everybody's state is like the worst. And Terry and I drive a lot that way, and so we really kind of plan before we leave, you know, let's leave at, we're going to leave at 9 o'clock in the morning because we've got to be up there by 4 o'clock wherever we're going, and we want to make sure we get ahead of the traffic and we don't end up in a big traffic jam, and sure enough, we want to leave at 9 in the morning, and it's like 10, 15 by the time we get in the car and we start going, and we, and, and I'm not one, I, I got to be honest with you, I like to complain a little bit about that, I don't know why, it doesn't do any good. But I like to complain, you know, we should have been out, and oh man, we're going to hit this traffic, and la-da-da. And then we drive along and we see a really bad accident. And Terry will look over at me and say, maybe if we left on time, we would have been in that accident. You know, God sometimes has a way of changing our plans. And, and by the way, I'm glad He does this, because His view of my life and His view of your life is far better than our view of our lives. We've got this horizontal view of our lives, but God's got that heavenly view where He can see 
He doesn't just see today for us. He sees tomorrow. And He sees next week. And He knows what's coming and He knows who we're going to meet. And so I want to talk to you tonight about uh, the plan of God and how it, it works itself out using the person of Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but I love every morning when I get up, one of the very first things I try to do is read my Bible. I don't do it because somebody tells me I have to do it. I do it because I need to do it. I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty sinful person. And if I don't get in the Word of God every day, then my mind runs my life. And that's not a good thing. Because my mind is deceitful. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It's, it's beyond imagination. I can't even know it. There's times things come through my heart that should never be there. And I wonder, where did that come from? I need the Word of God to, to be the salve and the medication for my life every day. And so I run to the Word of God. And right now I'm reading through the book of Genesis. It's one of the books that I'm in right now. And so I read just the other day this story of Joseph. And I, I want to share some principles from his life with you tonight. So let me give you three things real quickly, and we'll be out on time, I promise you. I asked Amanda what time I'm supposed to be done. You know, when you ask your kids that question, preacher's kids will tell you the truth. They will. If I'd asked one of you, you'd say, oh, just go as long as you want. And you'd be lying. And you might tell me to go as long as I want, but everybody else would be looking at Anyway, here we go. So the first thing I want you to see is God's plan revealed. In Genesis chapter 37, if you look down at verse 2, it says, These are the generations of Jacob. And then it says, right following that, Joseph being 17 years old. Okay, so I just want you to catch that picture. Joseph is 17. By the way, I'm going to skip through a, a lot of this story because I'm aiming for, I've got a really long introduction and a very small message tonight. So I've got to give you the the background to get to where I'm headed. But Joseph, at age 17, was asked by his father here to go and check on his ten brothers. Benjamin is still at home. Joseph is asked to go and check on his ten brothers. Well, on his way out there, by the way, what's he wearing? He's wearing a coat of many colors, which tells all of his brothers what? He's his father's favorite. By the way, how many of you have children? Not a good idea to have a favorite. Amen? Amen? just doesn't work well. And, and, and it gets worse when you have grandkids, by the way. Because they're really good. Anyway, um, so Joseph's wearing this coat of many colors. Already his brothers know our dad loves him more than us. He got him that really nice coat. As he's on his way out there, he finds out where they are. But he's, it takes him a, a couple days to get there. And he sleeps. And while he's sleeping, he has two dreams. The first dream is that the, the wheat is cut. It's made into stacks and tied together in the center and his 11 brothers their stack bows to his stack he then has a second dream where he sees the stars in the sky and the moon and the the moon represents his dad and the stars are his brothers and the 11 stars bow to him as well as his dad now joseph is how old 17 you know when you're 17 you think you have all the answers isn't that right you're pretty much sure that you have the whole world figured out and that your parents are about the stupidest people in the world. And they, there's no way they've made it this long without your help. And, and they need you. And so you have all the answers. You know, you know all of what's right. And you can help out the whole wide world. By the way, if you're 17, please forgive me. But that's kind of pretty true. So Joseph didn't use the greatest judgment. Let's just say it that way. He finds out his brothers are in Dothan. By the way, they're working. You with me? They're working. 
They're taking care of the cattle. They're making sure they've got food. They're making sure they're grazing well and they're being raised right. And when Joseph comes on, I mean, he says, hey, guys, guess what? I had a couple dreams last night. Now, first of all, he's got on what? His coat of many colors, which tells them that his, their dad likes him the best. And he tells them these two dreams where they're going to bow down to him. Guess what? They were thrilled. No, they weren't thrilled. They wanted to kill him. Now, Reuben, the oldest, is, he, he convinces the other brothers, don't kill him. If you kill him, it will devastate our father. There's no way he could recover from that. And you'd be responsible for the death of your, your father. So don't kill him. So they have a pit there. You know the story. They throw him in the pit. Reuben's away for just a moment. And while he's gone, a caravan passes by. That caravan is a, a group of Midianites. And they're headed who knows where. And the, the brothers don't know where they're going. But they decide, let's sell Joseph. Uh, um, Reuben, I'm sorry, Judah says, let's sell him to these guys as a slave. At least we can make a little money off of him. That'd be better than killing him. So that's what they do. They pull him up out of the pit. They sell him to this Midianite caravan and they take him off. If you'll, if you'll drop down in this chapter to the end of the chapter, in verse 36 of chapter 37, the Bible says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, and a captain of the guard. I want you to see, now I told you the very first point I want to show you is God's plan revealed. God's plan is that the 11 brothers of Joseph and his father are going to bow down to him. That's God's plan. However, I want you to see the second thing, and that is God's plan in action. Here we see at the end of, verse, of, of chapter 37 that Joseph is sold as a slave into the home of Potiphar. Now, as Joseph looks at the plan of God, I would say that Joseph says, this is a detour. This isn't fitting into God's plan for me. I don't know how my brothers are going to bow down to me if I'm a slave in Egypt in the home of Potiphar. But he's willing to go. And, And by the way, God is still in control. So Joseph shows up. Jump ahead to chapter 30. 39 with me if you would because it's interesting what happens when Joseph first saw the plan of God for his life he must have been really excited would you agree my brothers are going to bow down to me I'm going to be in an exalted position I kind of like that all of us would have especially as a 17 year old the idea that his older brothers and his dad were going to bow to him was a kind of a unique idea it didn't happen that often in that day so Joseph is, is here, he's kind of excited, but now, as often is the case, the way God helps us to arrive at our final destination doesn't always take the path that we think it should. Would you agree? As you look back on your life, you, you can see things in your life. I remember when I went off to Bible college, I was sure, I got saved when I was six, and I felt like God called me to preach when I was six. I can remember setting up the hamper in my bedroom, my, my sister and I shared a bedroom, I can remember setting up the hamper in there, and my sister's dolls would all be lined up on the bed, and my sister would sit there, and I would preach to my sister and her dolls. Those stinking heathen Barbies, not one of them ever got saved. (laughs) Not one of them. But I felt called to preach when I was a boy, and I went off to Bible college, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a preacher. And then God did something to me that I argued with Him about, because in March of my freshman year in college, God arrested my heart with the thought that I ought to be a missionary. I told God, wait a minute, you called me to be a preacher. Now, by the way, I don't need to tell God what he called me to do, amen? But I was 18 at the time, and I had all the answers. 
And so I'm telling God, you know what, God, no, 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 I've, I've got to be a pastor. And I, you didn't call me to be a missionary. I want to tell you for three months of my life, I struggled with God until I finally said to God, all right, I surrender. I'll be a missionary. I called the guidance counselor at the college, said I want to change. In those days, we all majored in Bible. We minored in, in pastoral studies or missions or music or education. And I said, I want to change to be a missions minor. And... Uh, as God would have it. So then I pour my heart into being a missionary. My wife comes to school that spring or that fall semester and she wants to be a missionary. Now, by the way, I didn't know she was going to be my wife then, uh, but I was glad to find out it was her that was going to be my wife. So we're together going through Bible college, planning to go to the mission field. And we had prayed, God, don't let us spend one day out of the ministry because we'd seen a lot of our classmates who graduated from Bible college and got a secular job in order to pay bills or to, to do whatever, and never went back into the ministry. And so we didn't want to see that happen to us. So we asked God, open the door for us to be in ministry as soon as we get out of Bible college. And we started looking at mission boards. We were going to go to Alaska. My wife had been in Alaska as a summer missionary, and that's where we were headed. We thought. I'd written a 50-page term paper on it in college, on, this, on, the, on going to Alaska to work with the, the uh, Alaskan Indians there. And, uh, and yet, when we got out of college, God opened the door for us to go to Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, to be a youth music pastor. Okay, uh, God, that's not exactly the plan, but, but we'll go. So we go there, and I get ordained during that year. It reminded me when I was sitting over here with Pastor Lardy just a couple years ago, and he got ordained. I remember sweating like he was sweating, and, and being nervous, and not knowing all the answers, and thinking I should, and, and, and uh, I got ordained while we were there, and... and uh, and we tried to go to, back to that same mission board. We applied with a mission board. They accepted us. So now we're thinking, great, now we're going to be missionaries. The church we were in said, we can't support you. And we didn't have any money. We got paid $36 a week, and they paid our rent. And you can't go to the mission field on that. So we knew God was saying, not right now, let's wait. God took us through, listen to me, he took us through ten and a half years of an assistant pastor position. And then God called us to be a senior pastor. Five years, we, I was a senior pastor. And finally, God let us be missionaries. Now, I say all that to say this to you. That's not the path I had in mind. That wouldn't, if I had written, out, written up the script, I wouldn't have written it that way. And yet, as I look back, I can see God's hand all the way through. Joseph, here he is in Potiphar's home. And, and uh, Joseph had some things to learn that he could not have learned on the path of ease. Are you with me? I'm going to say it again. Joseph had some things to learn he could not learn on the path of ease. And by the way, we're no different than Joseph. We'd like to have the easy way, but God sometimes has to lead us through the hard way so that we'll learn the things we need so that when we get to the place he wants us to be, we're equipped. By the way, his eye is on the sparrow. And it should be well with our soul no matter where we are. Horatio Spafford wrote that hymn. You know the story, I'm sure. His family had died all but his wife, I believe. And uh, as he got over the spot where his children had drowned, he wrote that hymn that we sang tonight. God sometimes has to take us through rough waters. Well, I want you to see what, he, what happens. In, in chapter 39, he, um, Joseph has instant success. Verse 3, his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that the Lord made all that he did, all that Joseph did, to prosper in his hand. Verse 4, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Now, 
To us, that may not sound like a big deal. Joseph got to be the, uh, the head of the household. But I want you to remember that Potiphar is a captain of the guard. That means he is a man of wealth. That means he probably has gardeners. He probably has cooks. He probably has cleaners, maids. He probably has servants that take care of his cattle. He's got people. He's in charge of the guards, so he's probably got people living within his household that are under him as, as far as that goes. Joseph is in charge of the entire uh, operation. He is a steward of a huge operation. And he is that way because Potiphar saw value in the character of Joseph. Man, okay, things are starting to look up again. Joseph is back. He's come out of the pit now. He got in Potiphar's house. That was bad. He's a slave. But now he's moving up the ladder. He is the most important person in the house of Potiphar. Everything's going great until Mrs. Potiphar comes into the picture. Look down at verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, that's me, by the way, that's not in Scripture, cast her eyes upon Joseph and, and she said, lie with me. But look at the very first words of the next verse. But he refused. Praise God. Joseph was a man of character. And even in the midst of slavery and even in the midst of difficulties, his character rose to the top. I want to tell you right now, when you get in difficulties, we're going to see your real character. Amen? We will. It's either going to be good or it's going to be bad, but we're all going to be able to see it. When we face difficulties, our true character rises to the top. And, and Potiphar's wife said, hey, come, uh, lie with me. And Joseph refused, and, and he would not. Well, Mrs. Potiphar waited, and you know this story. I'm going to jump ahead pretty quickly. Uh, but Mrs. Potiphar waited till nobody was in the house with them, just her and Joseph. She again comes to him with the same proposition. Joseph again refuses her. This time, as he runs from her, she grabs his coat, and she pulls it, and she keeps it. She then tells her husband when he comes home, Joseph tried to rape me today. Potiphar, without even speaking to Joseph, according to what we know in Scripture, has Joseph thrown into the prison. So now Joseph is in prison. He's gone from the pit to slavery. From slavery now to prison. But may I say to you, I mentioned to you that this was God's plan in action. Did I not? First of all, I said to you that God revealed his plan in the dream of Joseph that he's going to be exalted. His brothers are going to bow to him. But God's plan in action... Listen to me. Stay with me. None of what I just told you that happened to Joseph sounds like anything good at all. However, it is definitely within the plan of God. God has not forgotten Joseph. As a matter of fact, if you go back and look through this 39th chapter, I'm going to take you back to it a little bit later. You're going to see repeatedly where the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph all the way through this time. But I want you to see God's plan completed. If you start looking in verse 40 with me, or I'm sorry, chapter 40, we're going to see God's plan completed. So his plan revealed in the dream, God's plan in action, uh, the pit, slavery, and eventually prison. And now we're going to see God's plan completed. Even in prison, the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 39, verse 23 says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So the, prison, the head of the prison is not stupid. He sees in, in, in Joseph character as well, and he puts him in charge of the prison, basically. So as new prisoners would come in, they would filter through Joseph. Joseph would make sure they had the, place, the right place to stay. Now, he is in the king's prison. 
And the butler and the baker of the king, you know this story, so I'm going to do this very quickly. You all know the story, right? So I can go through it pretty quickly. You know the story. Look, he can, he can tell the story. Let me do it, all right? The butler and the baker both served the king, and they were both thrown into prison. By the way, isn't it a great story? It really is a good story. They're both thrown into prison. They both have a dream. And when they wake up in the morning, Joseph sees their faces and they're both troubled. They're troubled because they've had a dream that was very unique and it meant something to them, but they couldn't figure out what it meant. The butler comes to Joseph and, and Joseph says, what's, what's wrong? And he tells him, I had this dream. And he tells him the dream. And Joseph tells him, guess this is good news. Uh, you are going to be reinstated in three days. You're going to be back in the king's palace. The baker hears the good news and he comes and says, hey, I had a dream too. And he goes through the dream and there was a basket and birds were eating out of the basket. What's it mean? Joseph said, you're not going to make out so well. You're going to be killed and the birds are going to eat you in three days. Of course, that's exactly what happens. Joseph says to the butler very quickly there uh, in, in this 40th chapter, he says to the butler, when you get out, please, he says it in verse uh, Verse 14, he says, when you get out of prison, remember me. I'm here falsely accused. I never touched Potiphar's wife. I'm an innocent man. My character is obvious. Please, when you get out, would you tell the king? And the butler says, not a problem. I'm your man. Of course, he gets out, and what happens? Two years go by. 730 days, if I'm not wrong. You'll have to do the math later. I'm not good at math. Somewhere around there. A long time. Two years, he doesn't remember. And one morning, the butler goes in to wait on the king, and he notices the king's countenance is kind of down. And he says to the king, what's wrong, king? And the king said, well, I dreamed these these two strange dreams last night, and I can't figure out what they mean. (gasps) Butler says, oh, I, I know a guy who can help you out, but he's in prison. The pharaoh sends to the prison guard and says, shave and wash Joseph and send him to me in new clothing. Joseph goes before the king. You know the story. He goes before the king and, and the king tell, or the Pharaoh tells him his dream and Joseph says to him, there's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be seven years of famine following that. So during the seven years of, fam, of, of plenty, you need to build extra storehouses. You need to get, make sure that there's plenty of room because you're going to have crops come like you've never had them come before and you need to save them because the seven years that follow you're going to need to save it so you can make it through those seven years not only will you make it through those seven years but the nations that are around you will be at your beck and call because you will be the only one with the grain they won't have it they'll have to come to you they'll pay you tribute and eventually you're going to own all these smaller countries that are around you if you do things right Pharaoh hears him and he, he says, is there any man in all of Egypt that is as wise as this man? Let's make him the man to be in charge. And the Pharaoh sets Joseph up as the second in command. And I want you to realize, and I don't have the verse written down where it says this, but it's in here in the Bible, trust me, you'll have to read it later. But now Joseph is 30 years old. So when did he have his dream? He was 17. He's now 30 years old. 64? 46. Oh, verse 46. My wife is helping me out. Which chapter, my dear? 41. I knew that. It's, it's, uh, look in chapter 41, verse 40. Sign language comes in handy, by the way. In verse 46, it says, And Joseph was 30 years old. There it is. See, I knew I'd find it. <laughs> 
So for 13 years of Joseph's life, the way God's plan came into action took him through the pit, through slavery, through an imprisonment, and eventually to the palace. Now you know the rest of this story, and I'm going I'm to go quickly through the story. Joseph's brothers, in that second seven-year period, come into the famine, and now Joseph is now 37 at this point, so his brothers haven't seen him for 20 years. But they are in Canaan, and they need food. And so they come, their father sends them down without Benjamin. They come down to Egypt, and they want to buy food. And I want you to see what happens. Look in Genesis 42 now. Jump ahead with me to verse 7 of chapter 42. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. Twenty years earlier, the last time he saw them, their heads were poking over the pit, discussing how much money they were going to get for him. He knew them. Look what the Bible says there in verse 7. And he, but he made himself strange unto them. By the way, he now looks totally like an Egyptian. You understand? He doesn't look like a Hebrew at all. He's been in Egypt now for the better part of his life, really, if you think about it. More than half of his life he's been in Egypt. He's got the Egyptian haircut. He's wearing the Egyptian clothing. He's speaking the Egyptian language. And he speaks unto them, roughly it says in verse 7, And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph, verse 8, knew his brethren, but they knew him. They knew not him. He knew who they were. They have no earthly idea who he is. The story goes, and again, I've got to skip major parts to fit into our time frame here tonight. But Joseph convinces them to bring their younger brother, his only full brother. You with me? The other ten brothers are half-brothers. Their father is the same, but their mothers are different than Joseph and Benjamin's mother. But he wants to see Benjamin. He gets them to bring Benjamin to him. There's a whole long story that goes in there that I'm, I'm leaving out parts of. Because I want to get you to, this has been all the introduction. Because I want to get you to chapter 45. Go, go to verse, chapter 45 with me, if you would. A lot of things have taken place in between, but now Joseph has all of his brothers sitting around him at a table. And look what happens in verse 3. Chapter 45, verse 3, And Joseph said unto his brethren, and now I believe he speaks in the Hebrew language. And he says, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? Look up here at me now. And his brethren said, That's in the deep Hebrew language here. You really got to know your Hebrew to know that. His brethren were so afraid they could not speak. Because you know what? They remembered the last time we saw this guy, he was in a pit. We were selling him for 20 pieces of silver. Now he's in the palace and he has control over our lives. And we're in deep trouble. Look what it says. Go on, verse 4. Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother. Now he makes it clear that he remembers everything. Whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore, here's the verse I want you to see. Be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Listen, his brothers had already bowed to him. His dream had already been true. They didn't have a clue that they were doing it, but they'd done it. But Joseph realized something very important. He wasn't mad at his brothers. As a matter of fact, 
he had had enough time to think about it that he had figured out that God's hand was all over this plan. God's plan was for him to be thrown into the pit. God's plan was that the caravan of the Midianites would come by and he would be sold into slavery. Those Midianites just happened to be on their way to Egypt. He just happened to be sold into the house of Pharaoh. He just happened to be, by the way, Pharaoh just happened to be the captain of the guard so that when he threw his prisoner in prison, he would go to the king's prison. Are you with me? He just happened to be in prison when the king's butler and baker were also thrown into prison and had to have, just happened to have a dream that he was able, God gave him wisdom, to, uh, to decipher. He just happened to be there still two years later when the king has his bad dream and the butler realizes it and Joseph is brought before the king. It didn't just happen, folks. Are you with me? It is well with my soul. Why? Because God is in control. And the things that you're going through in your life tonight, they're not just happening. God is in control. You could tell me story after story after story as you look back on your life, how God directed your path to meet certain people, to be in certain places, to, to, to hear certain messages, to, to have your car run off the road at a certain place so you'd meet a certain person. We all could go through that. I want to tell you tonight, nothing in the life of a Christian happens by accident. Nothing in the life of an unbeliever happens by accident. Our God is so big that He can even control what happens in the lives of unsaved people. Stay with me if you would, please. I want to give you three things, three applications, and then I'm done. The first one is very simply this. God has a plan for every one of us. And can I say to you tonight, it's not just the righteous people who God has a plan for. God definitely had a plan for Joseph, but he also had a plan for his brothers. Because they're, the, they're going to make up the 12 tribes of Israel. It was really important that Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar, to prison, by the way, all peas. did you notice that? That would be a really good hearing message. The pit, to Potiphar, to prison, to the palace. So he could preserve, that was pretty good, hon, write that down for me. So he could preserve the nation, the people, very good, I like that. The pitiful people, let's say. No, anyway, we better stop. So he could preserve the nation of Israel. Folks, today, there is a nation of Israel. Do you realize that if Joseph had not gone through this path, we may not know the nation of Israel. But God had a plan. And God had a plan for Joseph. He had a plan for his brothers. Let me give you the second application. Sometimes the path that God chooses for us is not the path we would choose for ourselves. Matter of fact, most times it's not. God chooses to give you ailments. He chooses to give you debt. He chooses to give you a lack of wisdom. Because sometimes the easy way is not the best way. I love Isaiah 55. I have it in my notes. If you want to just jot it down, you know these verses. Verse 8 says, For my thoughts, God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your, my way, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Aren't you glad for that? God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Man, I'm really grateful for that because my thoughts are very limited. I'm not a real sharp guy. 
I'm not real, real smart, and I'm sure glad I have a God who's all wise. Who, you know what? I can wake up in the morning and say to God every morning, God, I place myself in your hands, and I trust you because you are all wise. You are not going to make a mistake with my life today. Can I tell you something? While you may be complaining to God about something you're going through, God knows you have to go through that in order to get to where he wants you to be. And there's no other way to get there than to go the way God sees that you need to go. You've heard the story of a, a, a caterpillar wrapping a, itself around a, a, a branch in a cocoon, right? And inside it, a metamorphosis takes place, and that, that, that caterpillar becomes what? A butterfly. I heard the story one time, you know, when the butterfly begins to push its wings to get out of that cocoon, the cocoon gets, gets translucent, like you can see right through it. And if you've seen, there's, there's pictures on Google if you want to check it out. But you can see the wings, you can see the colors, all this thing. Uh, somebody once saw the, the butterfly at that point and took a, a sharp knife and just gently sliced that, the remainder of that cocoon open so the butterfly could get out. Guess what happened? You know the story. Butterfly died. Because, you see, God made that butterfly to need the struggle to get out of that cocoon in order to be able to live once it got out of the cocoon. And God knows you and I need the struggle. Now, we don't like the struggle. Matter of fact, when we get into trouble, what's the first thing we do? God, get me out of this. Amen? James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all men liberally and abradeth not. He's talking about counting it all joy when you come into various trials and temptations. Knowing that the testing of your faith works patience. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We all lack wisdom. So the next time you're facing something that you feel is beyond you, don't ask God to take you out of it. Ask him to take you through it to learn all that you can. My last thing that I want to give you. God's plan is not normally the easy way, but it is the way that leads to success. Joseph, you know what I love about him? All the way through these these verses that we've read, we read verses like the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, the Lord was with him. It was obvious to Pharaoh that the Spirit of God was evident in Joseph's life. What I want to say to you is, even though Joseph was going through some of the most difficult times of his life, by the way, totally alone all this time, from age 17 to age 37, he didn't see his own family for 20 years. All that while, nobody's telling him what to do, but he knows what's right to do, and he does what God wants him to do. By the way, God took an immature 17-year-old young man and, and matured him very quickly by the time he was 30 to be able to lead an entire nation. And what I want to say to you today is that nobody else may know what you're going through for God, but God knows what you're going through. His eye is on the sparrow. And you can say, regardless of what's happening in your life today, you can say, it is well with my soul. Because we've got a God who's in charge, and he's paying attention to you. What I may challenge you with today, and challenge me with as well, let's not whine when we hit a detour. Let's ask God to show us everything he wants us to see along the way through that detour. Amen? Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the power of scripture. It doesn't, there's not just good stories. They're, they're life-transforming stories. And God, I want to thank you tonight that you don't just show us the success stories in the Bible, but you show us the, the challenges that, that these characters have gone through in Scripture that we also go through. And I think you do that for our own good and for our own encouragement. I pray for, Lord, I don't know who's in front of me tonight. I don't know what the burdens are represented in front of me tonight, but I know there's burdens in, in this crowd. Uh, Terry and I have burdens. 
Everybody's got burdens. Lord, help us not to complain and whine and look for a way out, but help us to look for a way through. And help us to trust you to open doors for us and to make the path smooth in front of us. You've told us in all our ways to acknowledge you and you will direct our path. And I know that means to make smooth the path that's in front of us. God, if you'll do that, we want to walk on that path, stay in the center of your will and trust you all the way through. Thank you for the example of Joseph. God, help us to follow his example. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.